welcome to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, the show where we discuss all things film, old classics and new releases, from films about excellent role models of leadership to films about terrible role models of leadership, from Braveheart to The Great Dictator. My name is Michael Brooks, I'm here with my co-hosts Bill King and Sam Oliver. Hello. 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 This week uh, we are buckling up for some high-octane, high-speed action which is uh, a little bit ironic given our current deflated and dreary mood. We are recording this the day after the Euros football final. Uh, We are going to be talking, though, this week about F9, The Fast Saga. This is the ninth in the Fast and Furious franchise, directed by Justin Lin. Before we get to that, though, uh, we're going to touch on some news, uh, news from the last week. Uh, First up, uh, the news of the sad passing of the producer and director Richard Donner, uh, aged 91. I mean, looking back at his his films, I mean, you know, some absolutely some top top films among among his uh, his back catalogue. Breakout success was the 1976 film The Omen, uh, followed by 1978 Superman, uh, and he went on to direct films like the, the the Goonies, Scrooged, and of course Lethal Weapon One to Four. Thoughts, reflections. I just think it's incredible. You list those films, and like each of those films wouldn't be out of place in a top 10 of each of those genres like the omen is a top top horror um superman there's an argument to be that it's the greatest ever superhero movie in fact you know it's the original superhero movie but it's it's not been bettered for me and then lethal weapon is one of the greatest action films of all time and then you've got goonies which is one of the greatest children's adventure films it's it's, just incredible and they're all very different films as well which i love like you'd never think the director of lethal weapon did the goonies it's it's really impressive and each of them just incredibly enjoyable um films in each of these wildly different genres what what a talented bloke i love those kind of directors where you like look at their filmography and you just kind of are like oh gosh like they really legitimately were like a jack of all trades everything they kind of turned their attention to they just completely nailed and like i know you were saying bill obviously there's a lot of films there in the top tens of their genres i genuinely think lethal weapon 2 is the best action movie sequel of all time like i will i'll go to bat for that as a thing and richard donner r.i.p lethal weapon 2 thank you very much for that that was great diplomatic immunity but it's got to bring that No, I, I, yeah, yeah. It, well, all of the lethal weapons I find incredibly enjoyable. Um, yes, it could argue there's varying quality in there, but yeah, Lethal Weapon Two is fantastic. I would say as well because I just I rewatched um, some some clips of his films. And I just said the final shot in Superman where uh, Christopher Reeve takes off from the penitentiary, the searchlight follows him up. He, he goes around the globe and he just gives a little smile to camera. And it could be incredibly cheesy, but it just, I, I started welling up looking at it, knowing what, you know, Richard Donner passing and Christopher Reeve, what a legend. It was just so joyous and innocent and childlike, and that's what Superman should be. And then you can go and watch Lethal Weapon, where you're getting to see Mel Gibson getting tortured by electrotherapy. It's, it's fantastic. And then, you know, Omen. They weren't getting his head sliced off by that thing. Amazing. What a, what a, what a career. What a career. Uh, I, I, I struggle to think of many other directors that have been so um, gone across so many different genres and made such a mark on all those different genres. Really, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, really, the the top guy in that respect is probably Kubrick, isn't it? I mean, in terms of making your mark on on a, a number of different genres. But yeah, I mean, the, the Omen for me is one of one of the most rewatchable horror films, isn't it? It's just it's it's, it's so good, it's so good. Um, talking to Mel Gibson, so there was a quote from Mel Gibson that said that. You know, however, whenever anyone talks about Richard Donner, they always underrate him. And I think that is kind of, you know, 
I mean, I, I must admit when did have to sort of look up what, he, what he'd been involved in when yeah. when hearing the news, and it's not he's not a, a big name director, is he? In, in the likes of under the lights of say Kubrick or, or Scorsese. I was going to say like Kubrick's good and everything, but Kubrick never had a scene where Mel Gibson tries to get out of a straitjacket, dislocates his own shoulder, and whacks it back in on a filing cabinet. So like. <laughs> Yes, Kubrick's done some good films, but has he given us a moment as pure, purely cinematic as that, really? But like, it's interesting, like you were saying, I think Richard Donner is one of those names where you do almost have to have that moment of going like, oh, what, do I, what have they done? What do I know them from? And then when you start kind of like digging under the surface of what they've done, you kind of reveal all these incredible films. And I think it just shows what a kind of like really accomplished directory was that like, Every film he put his mark to serves its own purpose. So like The Goonies is a very separate film to The Omen, is a very separate film to Superman. But all of them have such a kind of like air of competency to them that very different to what Kubrick would do or like a really big known, like a very popular auteur director. They very much put their mark on a film with a certain style. Whereas I think Richard Donner is a good example of one of those directors that just goes there and does a really cracking job of putting together the best action movie he can make, the best family film he can make, the best horror, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, yeah, he is quite underrated, but hopefully, I mean, very sad news of his passing, but if it can mean a few people will go out and like rewatch some of his films, it's no bad thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think, yeah, he, he is different from a Kubrick in that he just serves the story. Each of his films, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say he's got he's got many visual cues that you could go, oh, this is definitely a Donner picture. But yeah, each of them is just is just incredibly well made and really great stories being told without him overbearing it in many ways. Um, and and that's why I think he has directed well, we've listed them. They are they are classic classic films and wildly enjoyed. By everyone. Another small little piece of news then. So uh, what what Hollywood A-lister sent a video message of encouragement to the England team ahead of the Euros final yesterday? Hollywood A-lister? Was it, oh, was it Tom Cruise? <laughs> yes, yes. You're too good. No, I just, because I just had a sudden flash of being like, I'm pretty sure I saw David Beckham fist bump Tom Cruise yesterday. I mean, in the at the match, not like in my living room, but doesn't seem like a typical football fan, doesn't Tom Cruise? No. Can't really imagine him, you know, getting the pies and beers in at half time and stuff and taking his top <laughs> off showing the cross of St. George. And... <laughs> maybe maybe he's had um, a message from Beyond the Grave from L. Ron Hubbard where he's been telling him that to get his beaten levels up, he's <laughs> engage in some uh, rigorous sporting activity. At least we now know who to blame. Uh... Yeah, for fuck's sake, Tom. Thanks, Cruz. You fair weather fan. <laughs> Apparently, the players also uh, got a preview of the new Top Gun Maverick film. Oh well, again, distracted, distracted. Yeah. Well, that explains everything. That's why it? Luke Shaw was so g'd up at the very start of the game. He was just like, "God, Top Gun, yes, yeah. come in." And then when they started to really, really think about the idea of Top Gun 2, when it really started to sink in, midway through the second half, they conceded because <laughs> they were like, actually, that's a fucking terrible idea, Tom. I'm not looking forward to it. At halftime, they must have all been like, guys, I just had this thought about that one scene, you know, and they really discussed the kind of things. And you could see it on Harry Kane's face. He was like, wait, but Top Gun 2, I just don't understand how the, you know. Had they put, a lot of- do you think they'd been put through the sight of a 57-year-old Tom Cruise playing topless volleyball on the beach and they just thought, this is... <laughs> <laughs> 
that was the last thing they saw as they approached the penalty bar. What, what are we playing for, boys? This is it's not good. No, it's not how are we going to deal with the fact that Top Gun Two is literally just a volleyball movie? That's all there is, just volleyball, and we can't tell anyone about it. We can't. We've got to keep it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, spoiler embargo. Oh, I actually have one more little piece of news. It's a really small one. So I think it was announced today what the name of the fourth Jackass movie is going to be. So obviously the first one, Jackass the movie. Second one, Jackass number two. Third one, Jackass 3D. What's Jackass number four going to be called? Jackass for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) That's better. I'm sure that's better. (laughs) I mean, that is a lot better than the actual title. I don't know. What is it? Jackass forever. Okay. Yeah, that's not. That's nowhere near as good. You need to get in touch with Knoxville, Mitch, because that was way better. Well, um, we'll send him a DM on Instagram. See if he's. <laughs> they all must be far too old now for this sort of thing. Surely, I mean, they must be pushing fifties now. I would have thought so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Johnny, Johnny Knoxville's looking grey and probably has got more injuries than anyone has. But the, there's a picture from the like set where he's literally firing himself out of a cannon and getting knocked over by a bull. So I, for one, am very excited about Jack I kind of like it. It's the stakes have gotten higher because, you know, when they were doing it in the 20s, they were like, oh, they'll bounce back. Now it's like, oh, he's going to have to get a hip replacement. Um, so it's not it's not as much of a laugh when they crash the golf carts into rocks and things. It'll actually be, wow, this is going to... He's going to limp. He's going to have a limp now. That's the thing. The stakes have never been higher. <laughs> Jackass, for fuck's sake, the stakes have never been higher. Beautiful. Hire us as your marketing team, yeah. please. <laughs> and then we will then we will review it <laughs> once we've really been released from our marketing contract. <laughs> right, okay. So let's, let's get into talking about uh, F9. This is the ninth in the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, it stars Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, John Cena, and many, many more, uh, along with a few surprising cameos along the way. Uh, so the plot, uh, I really did struggle to try and summarise this this plot. The, 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 the plot is based around Vin Diesel, is Dom Toretto, leading a quiet life with uh, Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, and his young son, Um, Quickly, though, he becomes embroiled again in a mission to save the world from a devastating plot led by Dom's forsaken brother, Jacob, played by John Cena, uh, who was partly responsible for their father's tragic death on a racecourse back when they were teenagers. And that the plot, this involves a device called Ares, which can hack into any computer-controlled weapon system. It's masterminded by the cyber terrorist and old enemy, Cypher, played by Charlize Theron. Uh, and this this chase takes the gang separately or together to London, Edinburgh, Georgia, and the fictional Central American state of Montecito. And along the way, old friends make surprising returns and new heights of adventure are scaled, it's fair to say. Before we start, can I just say, I've seen the film and that synopsis has no bearing on what I experienced. I'm really worried I've seen the wrong thing now. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I was desperately trying to be like, Do I, have I seen that? Yeah. Is that what, yeah, what, what the hell are you on about Aries? What are you talking about? Anyway, anyway, we'll <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, well, just to say this. So this was scheduled for release last year. It was one of uh, several big blockbusters to be delayed until this summer, and it's done phenomenally well at the box office. It's currently the third highest-grossing film of the year so far, somewhere in the region of half a billion dollars. So it's certainly, you know, it's doing the business in terms of getting people back into cinemas. Sam, you're up first. Tell us what did you think about F9? 
Um, well, first, a caveat. Um, me and Michael um, have never seen any previous Fast and Furious movies, and this is the first of the Furious franchise that we've seen. So if there is anything that we get incorrect, apologies up front, but this is our first foray into being both fast and furious. Up to this point, we've been slow and sedate. Don't worry, listener, I will be correcting all of their mistakes during my review. And our opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, my main first bone I'd like to pick with Fast and Furious 9 is it's remarkably convenient that Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez, despite living so far off the grid with no access to telephones at all, so far in the wilderness that... Whenever there's an arrival of an unknown car, they have to put their kid in a hole and get out some heavy, heavy retaliation. It's amazing that they were somehow able to get a babysitter on very, very short notice. That really... I spent a good 20 minutes after that happened being like, wait, who on earth is looking after their child? I I can explain that. Oh, right. Fantastic. Yeah. If you just make a note of everything you'd like to... Yeah, I will. I'll make a note of that one. So, babysitter. Babysitter, I will just say I had exactly the same thoughts. (laughs) Oh, and I went to go see this by myself, so there was nobody to turn next to and make these dry comments to. So, apologies for me getting all of this out now. So, one thing I really liked about watching Fast and Furious 9 is I had this slight worry, a very slight worry, that I wouldn't know what was happening because, obviously, it's the goddamn ninth film in this franchise and i've not seen any of the other ones but f9 does this really great thing where it assumes that the audience have no idea what happened even if they have seen all the films so every time that a character is revealed who has previously died or previously been elsewhere or has long been off the grid there's a really long extended moment where someone's like oh whoa it's gary gary remember that job that we did in belarus and gary's like yeah i remember the job we did in belarus and then they have some flashbacks of that so it literally is filling you in on who these characters are after they've had the big reveal of who they are so as somebody coming to it for the first time found that very useful and it also made me kind of intrigued to watch some of the other films because i found myself being like oh is this famous person so Charlize Theron's character for instance I assume she's been there before but has Michael Rooker's character been there before has Helen Mirren's character been there before has John Cena turned up before it's all these things that are going to make me think hmm is there more to this franchise than first meets the eye as I'm sure you can guess even if you haven't seen any Fast and Furious movies this is a ridiculous ridiculous action movie um A lot of what you've described in terms of the plot synopsis, Michael, I literally couldn't remember what the plot was because I don't think the plot really matters. It's a lot of literally like life, like science defying stunts and action and a fundamental, at one point, a real fundamental misunderstanding of how zip lines work. Like you can't zip line between two things that are the same height. Like I'm pretty sure that's not how zip lines work, John Cena. (laughs) Um, But I think... To sit there with your Bill Bryson science hat on and criticise this film for not being scientifically accurate is to kind of miss the point of Fast and Furious 9. Um, I'll do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, I'm saving this for you because I feel like I need to be the... I'm going to do my classic sit in the middle because I know that you're going to have... And I can see you. You're leaning back now, ready to just lean in. Don't prejudge my views. Yeah, Michael might have a lovely time. Sorry, sorry, you're right. 
but it made it really interesting watching it with no understanding of what happened before because obviously I felt absolutely zero emotion or connection to any of these characters and I had this real battle with myself where I was like is there people that are watching this and being like oh no I really feel for Vin Diesel's gruff sad face I feel like Michelle Rodriguez's lovely short hair is a, a different a divergence from what she's done in previous films I to the point where I almost wanted to ask people as they were leaving the cinema like did you care about this this and this because I didn't but maybe that's because I have no idea what's supposed to be happening I think if we'd recorded this episode as soon as I left the cinema I would be full of praise and excitement about this film I had a really like really fun time at points I was thinking to myself, I think this is one of the best unintentional comedies I've ever seen. There was so many moments where I was laughing out loud at some of the ridiculous, very... It felt a bit like, do you know the great bits in Airplane when they're delivering very silly lines very seriously? There were certain points where I was like, are they just doing that? Because if they are doing that, they've nailed it. Because there was a lot of genuine laugh out loud moments with people doing gruff, serious action voices, but saying very, very silly things, which not going to lie, was a lot of fun. Um, But unfortunately, as I've got further and further away from the film, despite the huge bombast and the massive ridiculousness and the huge stunts and all of the crazy shit that happens, I have found myself forgetting it very, very, very quickly. But I will say there is a part of me that's kind of intrigued to watch the other Fast and Furious movies, mainly because it was a very diverting couple of hours because it's always fun to watch some big explosions and some crazy stuff happens. But generally speaking, I don't think F9 is the kind of film that I'd say rush out to see. If you've seen the other ones or if you like a scene where one of the characters literally dodged the bullets that were being shot from someone six feet away, like he was Michael Scarn in Threat Level Midnight, you're going to have a great time. There's, yeah, it's a wild, wild movie. I also, Bill, I might save these until you've done your bit, but a couple of questions about the franchise as a whole. That Please, I was... yeah, I'd Anything to help your enjoyment and understanding of this opus. Yeah, it's it's like fucking reading Bleak House is Fast and Furious, man. <laughs> it's like reading a classic piece of philosophy, isn't it? Oh, goodness. All right, well... <laughs> so, some, some of my thoughts. Um, so, I I went into this expecting sort of the realms of realms of ludicrous but I, I didn't expect the colossal levels of ludicrous that this achieved i mean it really <laughs> surpassed all my expectations so there are there's plans for a two-part tenth installment i i understand um and it just i, I thought afterwards I, where on earth can they possibly go with this next because we're, we're going to give spoilers away but literally where can <laughs> they go i mean we talked about obviously john cena um a man who you know, I watched this on a very big screen, but it was still the screen was only just big enough to fit his neck on. But, you know, I mean, it's John Cena, you know, he did that big, ridiculous apology, didn't he, to China, uh, presumably because the 10th is going to be filmed in China. So I guess that's where they're going next. But even, well, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a two hour, two and a half hour, high octane action film with very little in the way of character and plot development, as, as you've already said. It's spectacle over substance. It's smashing, bashing, explosions, destruction, adrenaline, fun. All the things I really hate. Um, <laughs> but, you know, surprisingly, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. And I think perhaps 
partly that's because of the atrocious ice road that we watched uh, the week earlier, which uh, listeners, if you, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to our episode last week uh, where we uh, demolished the ice road. So perhaps because I'd, I'd just seen that, and I even found it mildly entertaining for about the first 30 minutes, I'd say. But I'm afraid after that, I sort of gradually found it more and more dull. I I liked the the opening harking back scenes on the racetrack, setting up the characters. I thought that was well done. I liked the the opening action scene in the in the tropical jungle. That looked really incredible on a on a big screen. Um, it was Im- impressively orchestrated, I thought. Um, and it's relatively interesting how they kind of span the world. You know, you go to Edinburgh, uh, Tbilisi, London, Tokyo, the Caspian Sea. I mean, it gets around. And also on that front, I mean, I, I did get a little bit of a thrill. I, I am a, an architecture fan. Uh, and the the brief inclusion of uh, the Ministry of Transportation building in Tbilisi, which is one of my favourite buildings in the world, I would I would love to come visit it. It wasn't in there long enough, but it was there. It was it was in there. Which which bit was that, Mitch? It's a tiered. Ca- yes, yeah. it's a very strange, oh, brutalist yeah, building, cool. which is yeah. um, kind of it's not uh, not shot in its in its full glory, but uh, they were they were there. Presumably because it's the Ministry of Transportation building, um, and they like the link. But anyway, uh, so that was just a little, a nice little <laughs> gimmick that I that I enjoyed. I think that the problem was that kind of you know getting blasted by spectacle after spectacle after spectacle. For me, it quickly fell foul to diminishing returns, and by the end, I was a, I was quite numb to it. It just sort of washed over me. I couldn't really have cared less about it. The running time was far too long. I mean. <laughs> It's like a you know, it's like a thrill ride that you know, it's fun for a bit, and then it just drags on, and you kind of wish it would stop because <laughs> you feel sick, you've gotten over that, and are now just bored and tired. You know, there's absolutely no need for it to be 143 minutes. I the, I can only assume that with a budget of I looked it up, it's a budget of 200 to 225 million dollars. The pressure was must just surely been on that you know. They have to show everything that's been filmed. Nothing can be left out or wasted. All the money's got to be accounted for on the screen. But so the first hour, I, I thought, you know, I can absolutely see why people like this and why the franchise has been so successful and so endurable. By the end, though, I kind of came out thinking, well, you know, I kind of defy anyone to honestly be able to say that they were gripped or captivated by what was going on all the way through. I mean, I don't know, but then Sam, you said, you know, you you found yourself laughing out loud, and so maybe. Maybe I, I, you know, it's the fact that I, I went. I also went on my own to see it on a rainy Monday night. I had a busy day at work, and I think that's probably why. I mean, were I drunk and watching it in the presence of your good selves, I probably would have had a, a lot more. I probably would have found it a lot more funny and a lot more entertaining. But I think the main problem for me was that there is absolutely no danger or jeopardy or suspense in it. I mean, Vin Diesel seems to emerge unscathed from every encounter to the extent that like, his crisp white vest barely has a speck of dirt on it at any point throughout the film. I mean, you talk about you talk about Mel Gibson having his L, uh, arm dislocated and you know that being, you know, there is nothing even comes close to that. There is no harm to any of these people. You know, it makes it very hard to suspend any disbelief or develop any kind of notion of caring for the characters or what is playing out on the screen. To the film's credit, though, it is self-aware enough. There are several humorous, kind of almost meta references to the lack of danger or harm. You know, one of the characters asks, "You know, what if we are invincible?" You know, I thought that was nice that you know it does that. Self-awareness is always good, but it doesn't absolve the film or make or make it any more suspenseful for me. I also thought, you know, all the ac- all the action and the film in general kind of exists in its self-contained bubble, which is weird considering how globe-trotting it is. You know. 
all the external people in society, anything, it just doesn't feature. Like when they're tearing through, smashing up Edinburgh or wherever, all the normal people, everyone else who's outside of this little group of characters, they just appear like, um, like you know, there's kind of like on the hoardings at the side of like property development sites, there's like just sort of computer <laughs> graphics of like semi-visible people wandering around with like blank avatars. It was kind of like that, you know, there's this kind of like weird translucency to all of these people. It's very strange. So can someone, like you said, Sam, can can someone watch this without any knowledge of the rest of the series? Yes, you know. But a lot of the characters and a lot of the dramatic reappearances will be totally lost in you. I have no idea who Charlize Theron, what character was, but the thing is, it doesn't really matter because before you know it, you're you know there's a twenty minutes of cars with electromagnetics destroying another city, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so I didn't hate it. If you like the rest of the franchise, I'm sure you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, whether you, whether I. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I couldn't see how anyone could be kind of like completely engrossed for the full 143 minutes. But uh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, it will do something for you if you've enjoyed the others. Bill, what did you think? Give us the expert view. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Finally, let me explain how you can be enraptured for... Right. First of all, um, so the babysitter issue we we've we've had. Yep. Um, so um, Paul Walker very very sadly died tragically in a um, in a car accident, and he's since been out of the series. But his character Brian hasn't been killed off, um, so he kind of exists off screen, which is kind of sweet. And um, now whenever they have to do some crazy <laughs> stuff, because all the characters have kids. Um, Brian just comes and takes the kids and he's seen off screen and because he's a badass, he's protecting them, which I think is quite yeah. sweet. Um, so that's that. So stick that in your wow. pipe, I, lad. Um, <laughs> I really didn't expect there to be a genuine answer for that, but thank you. That's yeah, no, he's, I think if you'd been listening, they actually um, they say, what about the kids? And um, Maya says, they're with Brian. Who better could they be with? And then Vin Diesel's character, Dom, says, yeah, family's the most important. Now, this brings me into um, the central theme for these films, which anchors it, is about family. Um, And you don't need logic, believability, a workable script, or any sort of dramatic tension when you've got family. And I think you guys could learn something from that. (laughs) I just, Just to give a little bit background on the series. So it's gone from the first film literally had a plot about stolen dvd players so i want you guys to just think about that it was actually about stolen dvd players and now think about where two of the characters ended up in in this film i won't spoil but think about where they they ended up and it's gone from nicking dvd players that's 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 the longevity of this franchise um dvd players dvd players mate they were big tv video combos yeah 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 that was, they were big money back in the day. Now it's oh, now it's like electromagnets and Project Ares, which I don't know what it did. Um, I'm going to just, just run through. This is one thing that does annoy me. I'm a massive Fast and Furious fan, but this is something that annoys me about the franchise. So it's the titling. So the first film was called The Fast and the Furious. Fine. The second film was called Too Fast, Too Furious. Fine. Fine. Next one was called Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, I guess. Um, the next one after that was just called Fast and Furious. Right, and then then we Wait, go so they've, to they dropped the 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 went. Um, mm. Then we we still keep the the off, and we go to Fast and Furious Six. What? Uh, then we're into then we're into Furious Seven, eh? And then we go to Eight is the fate of the Furious. Then we go to Fast and Furious present Hobbs and Shaw, and now we're just into F Nine. The titling is as haphazard as the villains' plots. Um, so I think that's a bit of a meta thing they were doing there. 
Yeah. How does this stack up in the Fast and Furious films? I'd say it's probably the third best, which out of ten films wow. is isn't bad. I'd say that's that's pretty up there. So um, bronze medal. If you're interested, Fast Five is the best. Um, then Fate of the Furious. Then I think this. Um, and yeah, you 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 correct. It lives in a. It's a cartoon. It's completely in a fantasy world where you can have a high octane trace around London and not get stuck in any sort of traffic, which is just ridiculous. If you've been driving around London recently, like it takes you half an hour to do a mile. Yet Helen Mirren was just smashing it right past Buckingham Palace um, and was fine. Like not one red light roundabout straight across no problems whatsoever so that's how that's how stupid it's getting and, and yeah every single one has just kind of upped the ante for how ridiculous they're gonna get and and this one really did like i, I agree best the best action scene was the jungle stuff in the beginning quite enjoyed that then it just started getting more and more ridiculous till and again i don't want to spoil it because you've just got to see it in the cinema to to quite believe where yeah. they've gone with this and at that point i thought how how are, what the hell can they do um but it does and, and it's got it's got this this self-awareness as you said mike um you know where the character believing he's invincible and then just keeps bringing up just how stupid things are getting now I think this all started to come about in um, the Fast and Furious, I think it was Seven. So um, that's Furious Seven, when um, The Rock said the following line to someone. With all due respect, Captain, when this whole thing is over, we're going to find a location, and I'm going to knock your teeth so far down your throat, you're going to have to stick a toothbrush right up your ass to brush them. At which point Jason Statham's character burst out laughing, and this was not meant to happen. It was meant to be a po-faced threat like the rest of it, but it was so ridiculous Jason Statham couldn't keep a straight face. And ever since then, I think the series has really leaned into this is stupid, isn't it, guys? Yeah, let's let's just go for it. And it's it's really gone for the um, let's just keep let's just keep being self-aware and saying this is stupid. We've had tanks. Now look what we're trying to do. I think it can it can get away with it because it knows what it's doing. And it's so po-faced. And I love the fact that Vin Diesel thinks he's in a different film to the rest of the cast. Because Vin Diesel <laughs> thinks he's in some sort of um, psychodrama about brotherly love and um, and revenge and not letting the past drive you and moving past that. And, and he's not. You're not in that film, Vin. But he struggles manfully to make it that. And he's so so super serious in it like he doesn't make any quips he's, he's all po-faced going for it while you have um the tej and roman characters who end up where they end up making gags every second and it's just it's just brilliant and i love that they brought john cena in to be the other end of that and uh, and go for it i've seen all the films and you know you're bringing up characters and i was struggling to remember and, and then i was like one character turned up and i was like oh shit yeah he died horribly right he's back that's cool oh he was good he was good and then charlie's theron came along and i was like oh yeah why is she in a box oh yeah they they captured her at this point Uh, right okay and you do find yourself like kind of i was i was itching even in the cinema for my phone to just look up right where did we last leave helen mirren what was she up to because yeah I, i think that that speaks to the fact that you really don't need to see these films because i i'd seen them and i'd seen a lot of them fairly recently and had no clue where people were coming from. Are you dead? Are you alive? What the what the fuck is going on? But it doesn't matter because you've got ridiculous zip lines, magnets for no reason, um, and um, 
yes experimental cars let's say but yeah i got a kick out of um seeing characters returning even though i couldn't remember where they came from i loved i love the fact that even though it's moved into this multi multi billion dollar franchise they're still remembering enough to bring the stars of fast and furious tokyo drift back <laughs> which i assume fans will go mad for um and make them an integral part of the plot and you're like oh these guys are still around that's beautiful so yeah i thought it was lovely Let's talk about the corona, use of corona in the film, um, which is their bit of choice. Now, I was, as I'm sure many fans were, shocked when in Fate of the Furious, um, Dom at his cookout served Budweiser. I was like, what does this mean? Because every other time it's been corona, um, and there's the classic quote, you can have any brew you want, so long as it's corona. But he served Bud. Now, the prevailing theory on the internet, and I've been going on forums and chatting about this um, quite a lot recently, is um, corona signifies family. And now in the, the, the past film, the family had been split apart. And in this film, without any spoilers, you have certain people returning, which means the family has come back and they're allowed to drink their drink of choice, which is corona. And corona in Spanish means crown. Um, I think that's pretty obvious what we're getting there. Family's king. Um, so I think that's something something you can really, really take to heart there. Are you sure they didn't just pay more than Budweiser to be featured? <laughs> that's, that's, that's. I'll be. I'm sure. To, I'm going to have a deep look on the um, subreddit for Fast and Furious promotional items tonight and see. Get deep in some of these. Yeah, it's the rabbit hole. You don't want to go down there. <laughs> I'll just say one more thing about it because yeah, I th- I I did enjoy it. I uh, I switched my brain off, had a damn good time, like you should do when you're driving. <laughs> just you know, don't concentrate anything. Go as fast as possible, and uh, you know, sometimes close your eyes if you want to. Um, I, I will say, I, as a massive Star Wars fan, um, the Yoda put down that Charlize Theron's mm. character. It went somewhere I didn't expect, and as a Star Wars fan, I found it real cutting. Like, if someone said that to me, I'd be pissed off. Uh, so, fair play. I mean, it was the one good bit of script writing in the entire bit of film. And, um, yeah, that 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 cut me to the quick. So, um, mm. well done on that one. Well done on that one line out of... Well, there wasn't many lines in it, was there? 143 minutes of the <laughs> But, yeah, have you got any questions for me, um, gents, if you've, you've got issues with... Um, let me just pull up my let me just pull up my document here. Yeah. Um, Have you ever thought about so... getting any hobbies? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you read a book every so often? Um, so the first thing I'd like to know is um, is this the first appearance of Michael Rucker? Because I feel like the involvement of Michael Rucker in a film makes me more interested in watching the film. So if he is in the other ones. I'd like to know which ones Michael Rooker is in. Michael Rooker's character has been talked about but never shown. He's a big part of the mythology. Um, and did you find it interesting? Michael Rooker handed Dom a Corona, but Dom didn't drink it, which says that Michael Rooker's not quite accepted into the family, but maybe in the next one he will and they'll have a Corona before he sacrifices himself, before coming back in the final film, of course. Or was Vin Diesel like... Michael Rucker, I've obviously driven here because this film's about cars and I will not be having a beer before getting into a car. Mm. Sensible. Mm. That's very sensible. Yeah, that's very sensible. Sending a good message to all the kids that were watching this film behind me. it to link cars and beer intrinsically together in a dollar franchise. Very, very odd to be like, you can definitely have like one or two Coronas before getting behind the wheel. You'll be fine. (laughs) Just make sure you have a slice of lime to line your stomach. But Paul, anyone who's a pedestrian who might be harmed is completely translucent. It doesn't matter. 
yes, it doesn't matter. These cities are strangely empty. Um, just gun it round. As long as you keep your family close, you'll get away with anything. Um, <laughs> my next question. Um, so, yes. when did this film franchise stop being about cars racing and doing Tokyo Drifts and become a weird spy thriller? Because I was expecting a lot more, you know, driving than what happened. Mm. Um, so Fast Five is sort of the the transient picture in it, um, in that it became more about like massive heists, and they had the classic scene where they um, decide to drag an entire bank vault out of a bank using cars, which was which was mental through the streets of Rio de Janeiro. And then ever since then, it, yeah, it's it's been so. Then Fast and Furious Six was the tank, um, and um, Dom launches himself out of a vehicle like a human warhead into another vehicle across a bridge, Holy which I, I lost my mind at that point. And then, you know, we've had submarines, um, jets. Um, at, at one point, The Rock, I think in the fate of the Furious, he caught a missile in his arms and then threw it back at a um, pursuing <laughs> vehicle. That actually happened. So, yeah, oh yeah it, I think it was, um, yeah, it was um, Fast Five was sort of the, the, the switch. That's when it started to go, well, let's make it James Bond sort of, but even mentaler. Fab, and my final question, um, has Vin Diesel's voice always been as gruff as it was in F9, or is this a thing that's developed across the franchise? I went back and watched, um, to get that Corona quote, which takes yeah. place in the first film, I went back and just rewatched that scene um, just before recording this. And yes, if anything, his voice has gotten less gruff. It's actually gotten Whoa. lighter now. Now his character's a father. He's actually got a little bit more um, lightness to his voice. So yeah, maybe maybe by Fast and Furious 20, he'll, he'll sound like me. Whoa. <laughs> Imagine. Um, thank you. That's really. I'll. I'll tickle. I'll tickle those off there. And um, yeah, thank you very much. That was very informative. Glad to be of service. <laughs> well, so I think that's kind of that's one of well, kind of say two thumbs up and me sort of wavering. Yes, I think that's that's massive thumbs up. I mean, like, I think no, we yeah. can all agree that Fast and Furious Nine makes the ice road like it's yes. really it's much yeah much much better than the ice road. If you want to go see a badly scripted film uh, featuring vehicles and some bad acting... And John Senna's very thick neck. <laughs> yeah, because you'd rather John Senna's very thick neck than a rat, wouldn't you? That's just It's got more screen presence than a, a, a rodent, a diseased character rodent. And also, rodent. as Michael mentioned, some really nice architecture at certain yeah, points. Yeah, and you've got architecture in there, so there you go. Um, not, just a, not just a massive expanse of ice. Poorly um, CGI you know. ice quite unique seeing edinburgh in a big blockbuster action film i don't think i've seen that before that was quite yeah, good that was and cool. they uh, did, you, uh, did you notice mm. did, 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 if they'd been really like up on their film buff uh, credentials at one point they go under the bridge and i th- i going to get the road wrong but it's i think george street they go under the bridge and then past the steps on uh, where you and mcgregor's character and spud in train spotting run at the beginning of train spotting and i thought oh they could have done a nice little you know interlinked cinematic reference there they could have oh it could be the same cinematic universe train spotting fast and furious crossover to be fair if you and mcgregor had turned (laughs) up in fast and furious 9 i would have been like (laughs) Stand up and applauding in the cinema. That would have been incredible. <laughs> All right, that is F9, uh, Fast and Furious 9. Uh, is currently in cinemas doing yeah, big business. Go and catch it. It's well worth seeing on a big screen. Yes. So what else have we been watching this week? Sam, you're up next. Uh, up first, rather. Uh, what, what, have you, what have you been watching? Um, so I watched this week um, a film starring an actor that we've talked about 
in um, one of our early, I think our very first episode of this podcast, and one of his finest works, aside from the film Uncut Gems, it is, of course, Adam Sandler in Happy Gilmore, perhaps the greatest comedy about golf ever made. Um, And I bring up Uncut Gems and Adam Sandler's performance in that just because I think in all genuine actual seriousness, the level of commitment that Adam Sandler has for his performance in Uncut Gems is exactly the same level of commitment he has to his performance as Happy Gilmore in Happy Gilmore. Now, yes, the director of Happy Gilmore, Dennis Duggan, doesn't have the same kind of indie clout credentials that the Safdie brothers has, but Adam Sandler doesn't care for that and brings 110% to his character in this film about, for those of you who don't know, um, it's about... Happy Gilmore, who is um, a failed NHL hockey player, who it turns out is incredible at golf and is very good at driving the ball super duper far. He's a bit of a maverick, bit of a renegade. He gets into, he's got a hot temper and a bad attitude, which obviously makes for hilarious scenes where he's playing on like a PGA Tour golf with lots of people in jazzy trousers, with his renegade ball shouting and unique driving attitude. Um, there's a whole load of thing of like he's raising money to buy back his grandma's house, yada, 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 yada. But what Happy Gilmore does really well is be a very funny comedy. Like it's ridiculous, almost fast nine levels of ridiculousness, but it's a lot of good fun and genuinely, I think, has its heart in the right place. It's a really nice movie that's also very funny, very crude and features a lot of really great performances. Carl Weathers is in this movie as the um, former golf pro that teaches Happy Gilmore how to be the best um, golfer that he can be, the character Chubbs, who um, only has one arm, one hand, sorry. Um, And yeah, Chris McDonald iconically playing the nemesis of this movie, Shooter McGavin, delivers an incredible performance that is probably one of the best comedy villains out there. He's so unlikable, but so likable at the same time. He really treads that perfect comedy villain line where you hate him, but also you kind of secretly love him. And also speaking of product placement um, with the Coronas in Fast and Furious 9, there is a lot, and I forgot how much, um, Subway-based product placement in Happy Gilmore that, I'm not going to lie, really did work and made me really crave the Subway. So... Adam Sandler got paid, Subway got paid, and someday soon I'm going to have a Subway meatball marinara and it's going to be great. Um, we're not being paid by Subway, so just just so you know. But yeah, um, I know obviously when we talked about Uncut Gems, uh, there was a lot of piling on on Adam Sandler and a lot of negativity towards some of the sillier aspects of his career. And watching Happy Gilmore just reminded me that even when he's doing a really rubbish film, he gives 110%. And for that reason, I love Adam Sandler. So Happy Gilmore. It's on Netflix. It's a really good time. Golf. What a film. Happy what a film. Hole in one. Yeah, if you go like kind of the pantheon of golf comedies, it's above Tin Cup for me. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, Adam Sandler, like the scenes where he's just like acting opposite a golf ball when he's screaming it, you know, the get in the hole ball. And then that scene where he um, fights the alligator. It's just yep. beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just such a funny film. And it just it just mm-hmm. goes so ridiculous. But yeah, I've got to say it's it's great. It's got um, a Jaws from um, James Bond in as yeah. well, isn't it? Like one of his Richard, uh, oh, I can't remember his name, Richard, oh, 
Keel, Richard Keel, and um, yeah. he's brilliant in it. And the, that scene where he starts chasing Shooter McGuff is one of my <sighs> favorites in comedy. Like, it's I love that film. And Christopher McDonald, fantastic. It was really sweet, actually. Um, to look it up on Twitter, um, during the I, I, I don't, I don't want to say how old the film is because it made me feel old, but there was an anniversary recently passed, and um, Adam Sandler um, did a little video message in the character of Happy Gilmore, and Christopher McDonald responded in character of uh, Shooter McGovern, which was <laughs> just beautiful, and it was it made me think, let's get that sequel going, Mads. We could, you know, Happy it, Gilmore too. Golfers, there's no age limit for golfers as far as I know. You can just keep yeah. playing, you know. So um, yeah, a lovely film, great choice, Sam. I've not seen it, but I, I will. I would, you know, Uncut Gems made me appreciate Adam Sandler. I would normally have avoided him instinctively, but uh... I think of of all the Adam Sandler comedies, Happy Gilmore is yeah. is a gold star, gold star Adam Sandler comedy. Um, but then I really enjoyed Hubie Halloween, so maybe my opinion is trash. So who knows? Listeners, let us know. Is it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Is Sam's opinion garbage? <laughs> Don't hold back. All right, what have I been watching this week? Um, so important to say, uh, tone change alert at this point. Um, so uh, given the uh, the events of the last few days, um, in England specifically, uh, where you know we've seen uh, sort of pride and hope built around a, a football team representing diversity and solidarity, only to see, uh, very sadly, in the, the sort of dark underbelly of English racism emerge renewed and unrestrained, uh, it raises a lot of questions and uncomfortable truths about the experience, past and present, of black people and ethnic minorities in Britain and what that says about Britain as a country. Um, and a lot of attention, quite rightly, has been drawn towards uh, Steve McQueen's Small Axe series, which is on the BBC iPlayer, uh, which has drawn, which are fantastic films and have really drawn a lot of attention to these these stories. One of the finest films that you you could watch, or and uh, and that everyone I think should watch, is uh, Black's Britannica, which is a 1978 documentary film by David Coff. Uh, it's quite it's an, quite a notorious documentary, so it was labelled dangerous at the time by the uh, studio for which it was it was made, uh, and and then banned in in the UK. And what this documentary does is it uses black percept perspectives and recollections to explore the state manipulation of blacks, institutional racism to cleanse certain areas, move working class blacks to certain areas, basically segregating and destroying communities in the process. And the ways in which the state, working with councils, often integrated black migrants to the poorest existing communities, thereby creating a new black underclass. It essentially explores how the system was pitted against a whole section of society, both undermining and holding them back economically, politically and socially. It covers the post-war West Indian diaspora on the Emperor Windrush, uh, how communities were set up in areas like Notting Hill and how that manifested itself in things like the, the Notting Hill Carnival, the prevalence of stop and search and how that was used to criminalise large swathes of black people, and how a series of immigra immigration acts were passed, which were harsh, exploitative and reactionary measures, trying to stoke societal divisions as a method of controlling the working class uh, as a whole, which then emerged into mo movements like the National Front and the big following that uh, around Enoch Powell 
so it's it's a very uncomfortable documentary to say the least but it is essential and i think it is essential that british people know about and own their history and reflect on how you know own recent history you know this is this is not very long ago and reflect on how in many respects things are greatly improved since 1978 but in other respects as sadly you know as we as we see quite often but but uh, you know recently you know things may not have changed very much at all so that it's called Black's Britannica. It's by David Koff. It is only an hour long, and it is available on YouTube. And it's yeah, it's well worth your time. Really, really good. Really good. It's not flashy, but it's it covers a it covers a lot, and it's just really important. Yeah, fairly worthy. Well, everyone's saying one way we can try and get through all this shit is by educating ourselves. So why not watch a well-made mm. film about the issues? Definitely, it sounds it, it, on YouTube. Did you say it's all available on YouTube? Yeah, and it's yeah, it's about 54, 55 minutes long. And like I say, you know, it's remarkable that this was made by a public. I think it was PBS. It was so it was made. So it was a, an American broadcaster, but it was then subsequently you know, it was refuted. They didn't want to then screen it in Britain because it was labelled too incendiary, you know, too difficult. And I think it was only then screened for the first time in like the late eighties. Slight sidebar. Um it's not a film but just in terms of like educating you know yourself about kind of like britain's institutional racism i read a really great book right recently by akala uh, which is called natives race and class in the ruins of empire um which is a really like very eye-opening and obviously a very intense read but a kind of very vital and important book all about the history of like racism in britain um it's it, it, like i've listened to the audiobook version of it um he's a very interesting narrator uh, but yeah in terms of kind of like educating yourself um, i found that a very useful resource i've heard a lot of good things about that book yeah bill close us out what are you what have you been watching this week well after the excess of fast nine i really felt i needed to watch a film that um made best use of a very very small budget maybe was independent maybe didn't have any stars in and absolutely no magnetic cars so i chose a, a film I've, I've actually seen before um called the invitation um which is 2015 Ooh. directed by karen kusama um, starring logan marshall green and tammy garland and this is an example of a film a thriller which takes a really simple universal premise and just plays it in my view perfectly so um i can't give too much away because that's what the film relies upon but basically a character who suffered a past trauma is invited to a dinner party which is hosted by his ex-wife um as you can imagine he doesn't really want to go but he uh, he feels compelled to so he goes and the film basically plays on the universal premise of the awkward dinner party you don't want to go to with a bunch of weirdos you've never met before and that thing in the back of your mind going are they weird or am i just being unsociable i don't know whether that speaks to me as a person but i've i've been to many like that um that would explain your behavior at some of my dinner parties <laughs> absolutely every single one i mean it was basically a documentary about that dinner party. um it's brilliant it's 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 the the character himself because he suffered this past trauma and he suffers from ptsd and anxiety he's an unreliable narrator so you're seeing everything through his eyes and you don't know whether he's just bringing his own shit to the table as it were and is is being a bit unfair on these people or if there is something 
potentially dark going on but it's brilliant it brings up these these things that happen at these parties you know the forced fun party games um that, that sometimes come out um the times when you're in the middle of a conversation and someone just says something a bit non-secretary and suddenly turns the conversation down a awkward path that you don't think i should be discussing these issues with these people i don't know um the characters there of which i'd probably see myself in that are just constantly trying to make jokes about the situation and lighten things up the character that drinks far too much wine um, um, and just goes, look, we're not having a good time. Let's make the most of it. Drink all the free booze and eat all the free food we can and then get out of here. It's brilliant. Um, the, the house itself, so it's all set in one location up in the Hollywood Hills, which I think is a, a really interesting um, part of the, the world. I've, I've, I've driven around there and it's, you know, it's, it's Mulholland Drive um, has been milked for this sort of this sort of. Um, idea of it's kind of secluded and above this bustling city yet really isolated and really kind of out in the sticks and a bit scary and of course plays on the the whole um the manson murders that obviously took place there in the the 60s and it is to me quite a naturally scary place um because it is it is so secluded you're on the side of this mountain basically uh, high above this city and it plays on the fact that you're the you're the sort of upper elite class but something could get you up there um the house is beautifully shot one location um and it's 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 done interesting that um the the party scenes themselves are sort of um uh, lit and shot in this warm tungsteny sort of orange inviting light but then as um as logan marshall green's character explores the house and takes himself out for the odd breather when things get tense it gets a lot gloomier um and you bring in some deep reds which really kind of get under your skin and kind of bring out this this sense of dread um and things are less less clear I think Marshall Green himself is is fantastic in it. He, he he's very understated, and he's got this constant look of quiet, understated worry, which you would have on your face in this. Um, and and I think he's, he's he's brilliant without without. I think you could overplay this role, and I think other actors may have been tempted to. But the way he tries to keep things simmering below the surface, really good. Mm. Um, yeah, it's massively done. The left turns, the unexpected moments. Um, a, a brilliant as you'd expect from a thriller but also I think it gives satisfying and neat explanations which stay with you and I think you think about but kind of make sense within the story um, which which again excellent um, but yeah I, I think it's it's a real everything a psychological thriller should be and after all the excess of Fast 9 and you know two and a half hours of all this ridiculousness really a good example of restraint um, and filmmaking within means and, and crafting a well, a more exciting film with with far less uh, budget and and uh, spectacle, and I, I think it, yeah, it was a nice little companion piece. Um, it had me on the edge of my seat. I really, really do recommend it. I think it's fantastic. And where can you where can you watch this? Because it does sound really good. That is on yeah, that's on Netflix. Oh, great. Cool. Brilliant. That's one that's um, it's been on my list for a while. That one, and I've just never got around to it. I love Logan Marshall Green. He's such a good actor. Um, so I think I'm going to be pumping that one a few rows up the list do you think as another logan marshall green fan sam do you think that he's been held back in his career because he does look an awful lot like tom hardy do you know what i do get and i was trying to work out who he reminded me of when i was watching um upgrade that he's in and ah interesting that's the definitely this is the conspiracy theory that we should start on this podcast and see how much (laughs) like how much action we can get for it (laughs) I'm starting to think I maybe I have seen this film actually. I'm pretty sure you have. I'm fairly yeah. certain. We've it sounded about very before. familiar, and I didn't. Yeah, it is kind of yeah. And there's a kind of it ends with a 
there is some sort of easy, yeah. easy, easy, easy. But the, well, I'll say the final shot is quite arresting. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen yeah, it. I don't yeah. Want yeah, yeah, you have. I think I've told you about yeah. it many years before. I mean, that's not a good review. You can barely remember it. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Basically, just shat over what I've just been chatting about for the last ten minutes. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it very. It really stays with you. And Michael's like, didn't stay with yeah, me. He watched. He watched Fast Nine a week ago, and he can remember all of that plot. He watched The Invitation last night. And he's like, oh yeah, it's like a dinner party, isn't it? John Cena's necks in it. Oh wait, no, that was Fast Nine. <laughs> well. I mean, yeah, F9 did destroy about 50% of my brain cells. <laughs> I could feel stuff, just, you know, like, knowledge. Just... Oh, shit, so F9, F9 destroyed your memory of the invitation, so it literally purged it out of your brain. You didn't have the space. I really like the idea that every film we talk about now, we're going to tenuously have to link to F9, like, that's all the film we can remember. <laughs> Like the zip line over Edinburgh scene in F9. There we go. That's three very different, very interesting films uh, for you to watch uh, as an accompaniment or aperitif to F9. If you, ca- if anyone does manage to watch all four of the films we talked about today in one day, let us know, and also let us know how your brain is at the end of that. Yes. Marathon. Yeah. If you start getting a headache or anything, just yeah, yeah let us yeah. know on that one. Well, the weather has turned. The football is over, so there's no excuses. Yes, exactly. Uh, right, next week we are going to be talking about the new Danish comedy drama Another Round, starring Mads Mikkelsen, uh, directed and co-written by Thomas Vinterberg, uh, fantastic director behind films like Festen and The Hunt. Uh, and this also won the Oscar earlier in the year for Best International Feature Film. Thoroughly looking forward to this film. Join us next week for that. Sam, Bill, pleasure as always. See you next week. Thanks very much for having me. Ride or die. <laughs>